You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From The Recount, I'm Rena Ninen, and you're listening to The Recount Daily Pod. Today's Tuesday, September 21st. Genetics really is not destiny. We're not stuck with whatever the hand of nature has given us. But we also can't necessarily assume that treating every child exactly the same is going to make things fair for every child. That was Catherine Page Harden, author of The Genetic Lottery, Why DNA Matters for Social Equality. We'll dig into that in a moment. But first, your morning headlines. We begin on Capitol Hill, where House and Senate Democrats have less than two weeks to pass legislation before the government defaults on its debt. The Democrats unveiled a new stopgap measure that would keep the government in the black until December. Included in the package is new hurricane aid, along with resettlement funds for Afghan refugees. But the plan is already getting pushed back from the GOP, with Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell saying that they would oppose the bill. If nothing is done before October 1st, there would be dire consequences, including a government shutdown. Next to COVID, where the news is mixed. On the plus side, international travel is coming back to the U.S. The White House said it will lift pandemic restrictions on non-citizens visiting from several countries. That includes the U.K., China, Iran, and Brazil. Starting in November, travelers will just have to show proof of vaccination and a negative COVID test taken no more than three days before their trip. Travel restrictions had been in place almost continuously since March 2020. U.S. airlines celebrated the announcement, as did British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. We've made a lot of progress uh, on uh, getting people to to double vaccinated people to be allowed to travel to the United States. They'll be able to get there uh, by Thanksgiving. That's a great thing. But the news comes as the U.S. crosses yet another grim milestone. The death toll from the COVID pandemic has surpassed that of the 1918 flu pandemic. That's roughly 675,000 people, 
according to the CDC and data tracked by Johns Hopkins University. Now for some key context. In 1918, America's population was less than a third of what it is now. So an equal number of deaths back then was felt a lot harder. About 1 in 200 Americans died from the Spanish flu pandemic. That ratio today from COVID-19 is about 1 in 500. Finally, we turn to the health risks posed by extreme heat. The Biden administration is kicking off a new initiative to address safety for workers, vulnerable communities, and children who live in areas experiencing high temperatures. This effort comes as the West saw record heat waves and drought throughout the summer. According to the National Weather Service, extreme heat is the nation's number one weather-related killer. Several agencies will work together in what the Biden administration is calling the Heat Illness Prevention Workgroup. First, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA, is launching a rulemaking process to develop a workplace heat standard. Part of the focus is on those in the agriculture sector, construction, and delivery services industries. Outside of the workplace, the Department of Health and Human Services recently issued guidance for the Low Income Energy Assistance Program. That's to help cover the cost of air conditioning and cooling centers. Previously, the program was only used to help people pay for heat-related bills during winter. The Environmental Protection Agency announced that it will also use funds from the recently passed Economic Stimulus Bill to pay for technical assistance to create cooling centers in public schools. And now, to our Daily Deep Dive. The vast majority of Americans believe that every child should be given an equal opportunity to succeed in school and later on in life. Yet according to American psychologist and behavioral geneticist Catherine Page Harden, our DNA gives some kids a leg up while making it really hard for others. What if we could level the playing field through policy? Page shares her thoughts in The Genetic Lottery, Why DNA Matters for Social Equality being released today. Page, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. You bet. So what initially led you down this path of research, putting together genetic research and the issues of social equality? So my background is in clinical psychology, and I'm really interested in children and children and adolescents and how they develop. And one thing that rapidly becomes clear when you study children's lives is that by the time childhood is over, by the time people are 18, the stage has been set for so much of their adulthood to come, whether or not they've left school, whether or not they've had contact with the criminal justice system, whether or not they've become pregnant or started smoking. And so when you start talking about why do children differ from one another, you rapidly end up studying How do people's lives turn out differently? And I'm in particular interested in how people's starting points in life shape everything that is to come after. So tell me a little bit more about the research that you unearthed. I do two types of studies, and one is twin studies. So I run a twin study here in Texas called the Texas Twin Project, where we look at both identical and fraternal twins and a number of things about them, their mental health, how they do in school, their relationships with their parents. I also do collaborative work with a team of researchers around the world where we look at very large data sets in which people have been measured on their specific DNA sequence. And we look at how those DNA sequences relate to things we can measure about how their lives have turned out. And in both types of studies, we're interested in understanding how do the genes that people are born with combine with the social contacts that they live in 
to shape how people's lives turn out differently. Tell me more about the Texas Twin Project. The Texas Twin Project is a study of kids who are recruited from local school districts. And what we find is that children's genetics have an influence on their cognitive ability, their personality, and how well they do in school. And obviously these outcomes set them up for how their adulthood is going to go. So it's not that genes are the only thing that matters. We also see really clear influences of social class on children's performance in school. But we can't ignore the fact that children differ in their DNA and differ in their DNA in ways that matter for how easily school comes for them, which I think is actually not a surprise to anyone who has been a parent and has seen how their own children do in school. So the subject of genetic science has its controversy over the years. Tell me a little bit about the controversies you've been forced to face with your research. I mean, that's kind of putting it mildly. If we look at the history of the United States in the 20th century, genetic research was put to use to justify atrocities. And in the U.S., we justified, for instance, the forcible sterilization of women on the basis of their allegedly inferior genes. So I think we always have to be vigilant against the possibility of genetics being misused to harm poor people and people of color who have historically been oppressed by people kind of wielding the banner of genetics. So there's definitely a controversy there. And I think it causes people to have this very knee-jerk reaction that if you're linking genetic differences between people, there must be something inherently eugenic about it. So my project is really to try to think about how can we make sense of what we know from the science in a way that's anti-eugenic, in a way that's not alleging the inferiority of people, that's not being used to justify oppression, but instead is used to try to think about how can we help every child succeed in school and how can we structure society so that everyone can participate in our political life, and our economic life, regardless of how well they do in school. But how do you really do that? It seems like genetics is simply a lottery. Either you have it or you don't. Well, I think there's a really predominant myth that if something is genetic, if it's caused by genes at all, um, there's really nothing we can do about it. We just have to throw up our hands and say, you know, it is what it is. But we can think of really clear examples in our everyday life where that's obviously not true. One of my favorite ones is eyesight, right? So we know that people inherit predisposition towards poor eyesight, but we don't say, okay, well, children who have difficulty seeing, there's nothing we can do. We give them glasses. So I think it comes back to the two points. One is that things with genetic causes can have environmental interventions, can be responsive to things that we do in the classroom and at home. And that too, genetics really is not destiny. We're not stuck with whatever the hand of nature has given us. But we also can't necessarily assume that treating every child exactly the same is going to make things fair for every child. You talked about eyesight. Couldn't you make a similar argument for poverty? So I think poverty is always a result of social decisions. A lot of times people worry about biological determinism, that if you're born with certain genes, it's destined you to certain things. But I think we also have to be wary of a certain form of kind of economic determinism that says that the ways in which we arrange wealth and labor market and other sorts of economic outcomes in this country is inevitable. Poverty is always a choice 
on the part of policymakers, not on the part of people who are suffering from the oppression of poverty. So what I'm interested in understanding is how do our genes shape our bodies and brains? And then how can we structure our society so that regardless of what body and brain your genetics predispose you to, you still are able to participate. We've got to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with Catherine Page Harden, American psychologist and behavior geneticist on The Recount Daily Pod. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries, not so fast. Remember, your out-of-pocket costs are not covered by insurance. That can be a lot of money for your family. But how do you know you're not being overbilled? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock Technology reviews the claims for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors so you pay only what you owe. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. Welcome back to The Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. I'm joined by Catherine Page Harden, author of The Genetic Lottery, Why DNA Matters for Social Equality. 
you know, in your book, you argue that society needs to better appreciate our genetic differences in order to create an equal society. How exactly are we different? And can you really level that playing field? You know, it helps to go back and think about what are psychologists, educators, sociologists, people in this field already doing? And what are they doing is they are looking for what a lot of times people call bright spots. So where are the classrooms where children are thriving and succeeding? When we look at parents who are parenting in ways that best foster their children's development, what are we doing? And then they're trying to scale those bright spots up. How can we teach teachers to be like the most effective teachers? How can we teach parents to be like the most effective parents? In our search for these bright spots, we are trying to take into account as much variation as possible in how children differ. So I'm actually proposing something relatively simple at the end of the day, which is just taking into account in the research we're already doing, the fact that children are not all born exactly the same and that they're inheriting things from their parents other than just their environment. They're also inheriting their genetics. But couldn't this also, that line of thought, potentially widen the achievement gap? Because you're saying to a group of people, oh, sorry, your genes are that way. That is who you are. So I think it's really important to be vigilant against using genetic information to stigmatize individual children. And in my book, I talk about how we really should be using the knowledge of genetics to identify inequalities of opportunity, not classify or stigmatize individual people. Of course, every technology, especially one as powerful as genetics, has potential for uses and misuses. That's true of television. That's true of internet. That's true of every technology that has the power to help the world also has the power to hurt people. I think that potential for misuse is in some ways, exactly why I wrote the book. I think if we're going to counter those sort of misuses, we need to have a clear understanding of what just not, not just what not to do, but also what to do with that information. In your book, you discuss how genetics can show things like a person's likelihood of actually finishing school, their likelihood of becoming homeless. How can knowing the genetic information be helpful? And, and what are some of the pitfalls to having that information? If we look at a variable like family income, we see that children from the richest families have about four to five times greater likelihood of graduating from college than children from the poorest families. And that's about the same relationship that we see with measured indicators of people's DNA, that people who are in the highest values of what scientists call a polygenic index are four to five times more likely to graduate from college than people who have the lowest value of that polygenic index. In the same way that we use information about social class, when we observe that those income differentials in college graduation, we're not interested in just throwing up our hands and saying, okay, well, I guess that is what it is. We're interested in seeing, okay, well, what is it about wealth that gives children advantages? What are the mechanisms? And then how can we replicate those mechanisms for children who are disadvantaged? And so I'm proposing doing the exact same thing for genetics, not throwing up our hands and saying, oh, it is what it is. Certain children are, you know, fated to not go to school. That is not what the science is telling us. I'm interested in using that information to see what is it about having this certain polygenic index that makes you more likely to go on to college? And then how can we replicate that for everyone? How can we scale that up? Let me give you an example. So if a child has a certain polygenic index, we know from some research that they're more likely to elicit certain types of interactions with their parents, such as more cognitive stimulation, more talking between parents and children. That suggests that we can teach parents 
to talk to their children in particular ways, and in so doing, narrow this gap that we're seeing that's genetically associated. We're going to pause, take a quick break, and then we'll be back with Catherine Page Harden, American psychologist and behavior geneticist on The Recount Daily Pod. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries, not so fast. Remember, your out-of-pocket costs are not covered by insurance. That can be a lot of money for your family. But how do you know you're not being overbilled? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock Technology reviews the claims for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors so you pay only what you owe. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome back to The Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. I'm joined by Catherine Page Harden, author of The Genetic Lottery, Why DNA Matters for Social Equality. How can what you have researched on genetics be useful in creating policy and helping the futures of people in this country? So I think one concrete example is work that we've done looking at Again, that polygenic index, which is something that we know just from a person's DNA in relation to math curricular choices in high school. So, you know, if you have a high school student as they're going to the ninth grade, there's this question about what math class are they going to take? This is a policy location that's been extraordinarily controversial recently with some school districts proposing detracking math entirely, some school districts proposing that people get tracked into math classes on the basis of different criteria. And then we also have this genetic index, which we've shown in my work, 
is correlated with the likelihood of being tracked to a more advanced math class in the ninth grade, and also your likelihood of dropping out of math over the course of high school. And what's so fascinating to me about this genetic indicator is that it predicts who drops out of math even above and beyond their school grades. So even comparing two kids who both have a B in a math class, this genetic indicator predicts who's dropping out of math. So putting those two things together, these policy decisions about what should we do with math curricular tracking, and this genetic index that predicts dropping out of math, gives us a new tool to see how are these policy changes helping people or hurting people? Who is being served? So if we've changed something with a policy, does that get more people with a lower polygenic index into advanced math? Does it hurt math achievement amongst people who are most likely to succeed? These individual differences in response to a policy intervention can often be very, very hard to see. And Genetics gives us a new tool to see who's being helped and who's being hurt by the policy and intervention changes we're making. How could this be used as you look further down the road? For instance, I can tell you, I suck at math, but could I have done some sort of genetic testing? Could my parents have put me through something that would have then isolated, she's really bad at math, And then what do they do with that information? How could my life as a student have been different if there was some way of of understanding that, right? I will say to you the same thing I say to my daughter, which is that I don't think anyone's bad at math. I think that some people have not been given the just right challenge that they needed to learn the next thing in math. So when we think about integrating genetics into something like learning math, it's really easy to jump to this idea of, personalized education or personalized intervention that, you know, you, when you were starting first grade, would be given a genetic test and they would be able to say, oh, she needs this type of math education. I actually don't think that that is going to be the most productive route forward, even though it's the most intuitive for many people. I think the most productive route forward is when we're trying to identify who are the best math teachers and what do they do? Our job at doing that is going to be easier if we're accounting for as much variation in how students differ as possible. That's going to help us find the bright spots. So my vision for the future is not one in which people are necessarily given their personalized math education based on their genotype. It's one in which psychologists are better at doing the things they're already trying to do, which is figure out what are the best math curricular choices? What are the best math teaching techniques that really work for all kids? When you look ahead at integrating genetics into policymaking, we know this is obviously very controversial. What are both sides saying? And is there a place that the two sides can actually find common ground? I think that people are commonly worried about that it's going to be, you know, kind of served back to children in a way that actually forecloses opportunity and life chances for them, or that it's going to be used to kind of feed into these very charged racialized narratives about racial inferiority and superiority. So in my book, I describe that, you know, eugenics, when we think about it at the end of the day, is an ideology where there's inferior people and superior people, and that justifies taking away freedom and resources from some people. I think we need to be very vigilant against that, and in no way am I advocating for that. So with those concerns there, I think we also know that people already see that genetics matters in their lives. They can see that from looking at their kids, They can see that from 
everything that's going on with direct-to-consumer genetic testing. So at every step of the way, I think we need to be having a conversation about how can we use this to serve everyone rather than to entrench inequalities that already exist. You mentioned eugenics, page. There is just so much controversy and intrepidation around the issue of genetic research. What are you most hopeful for about this field and what worries you? This sounds actually quite prosaic, but I am most hopeful about doing better psychology research. I think that psychology has the power to make children's lives better by designing interventions in curricula and policies that help them be happy, that help them thrive in school. And I think the more we know about the world, the better we are at doing that. And that's what I'm most hopeful about. What I'm least hopeful about is that this work gets conscripted into the same sort of political quagmires that have inhibited our ability to make progress on a number of other issues. I think as long as we're debating whether or not genes make a difference at all, we're not going to be able to figure out how to put the science to the best use for the most people. Catherine Page Harden, the book is called The Genetic Lottery, Why DNA Matters for Social Equality. Page, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And now to the look ahead. Here's what else we're watching today. President Biden is set to deliver his first address before the U.N. General Assembly. Biden's speech comes on the heels of a rocky Afghanistan withdrawal and a submarine deal with Australia that's left France outraged. This as Biden plans to make a case for renewed U.S. engagement on the global stage while declaring that he doesn't believe we're headed for a new Cold War with the world divided into blocks. After one year delay due to the pandemic, the Ryder Cup begins today. The biennial event features 24 of Europe's and America's top golfers as they duke it out for bragging rights. Last Ryder Cup in 2018 was won by Europe. The Cup started back in 1927. It's named after businessman Samuel Ryder, who donated the trophy to the first game. And today is World Gratitude Day. So our thanks to all of you for listening to this podcast. It's a great day to remind your coworkers, your friends, and family members just how much you appreciate them. I hope you all have a great day. I'll see you back tomorrow morning. This is a Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. Our thanks to Catherine Page Harden for being on the show. If you like this episode, I hope you'll subscribe to The Recount Daily Pod and leave us a rating on the Apple Podcast app. I'm your host, Rena Nyman. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! 
Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.